patience come up dry and if you're searching for all right so yeah that's awesome though yeah i'm sure you probably do you like edit your own music and stuff too or do you have other people do that yeah so I'm in a band too and we had a friend of ours master our single that came out a couple Mm. months ago but my solo stuff like I kind of just crank it out and do my best to like master it and I'm definitely not as talented as he is but um, (laughs) I try to like make google my best friend yes yes that's super impressive that is I know it's a ton of work so and I've actually I've heard your your is it just you have one single with your band so far is there more yep, or just yep. the one we just yeah. started like okay. we picked our name a couple of weeks before COVID hit which is like the worst possible timing to be <laughs> banned. but oh uh, we're trying to like book gigs and nobody's just doing shows right now so mm-hmm. um yeah but we're trying to use the time wisely and just crank out music yeah, yeah I listened to the first single really fun you guys kind of <laughs> remind me a little bit of like slightly like Ingrid Michaelson Ooh, tiny yeah. bit, you know like that feel we'll like, like, like peppy peppy but like thoughtful I like mm-hmm. it it's yeah, a good combo that's great thank you <laughs> yes yes so this is kind of funny I'll, I'll just include this we're already me and Abby are already talking hey guys <laughs> it's Carbon <laughs> with the no apologies podcast I am here today with a guest named Abby Sidderly. And we met Abby through Stasios. She actually just wrote a piece for us. So you guys should all go look that up on the website. It's called Consulting the Democracy of the Dead. And it's really interesting, just kind of a survey of past Christian thinkers who have done a lot of excellent thinking for us and how we don't really need to reinvent the wheel. We can go and figure out uh, we can find a lot of answers to a lot of the questions we have today from these people. So really cool piece. Um, I'm excited for you guys to read it. Something else to know about Abby, not that she's just a great writer, is that she is a Christian musician. And that is why I wanted to talk to her because, you know, I am a writer. She's a musician. We're both Christians, We're both trying to make art in this really weird culture we live in right now um and so I just kind of want to have a conversation about that I don't know how many people who listen to no apologies are interested in the arts we know we're definitely interested in theology and culture so we'll find some intersections in some kind of way but hello Abby hey thanks for having me on appreciate it yes ma'am you know this is this is the first time Abby and I have met no uh hiding that here guys I know sometimes on podcasts you make it sound like you know the person for like ever old souls yeah yes we know we have lots in common but why don't you just tell our listeners Abby a little bit about you you know how did you come to this place and you know you can share as much or as little as you like but mostly kind of interested in how you became a Christian and how you became a musician yeah, so um, I'm from a really small town in upstate New York, and I'm the daughter of two former Sunday school teachers. My mom was on the worship team at the church that we grew up in, and my dad is kind of like a seminary dropout. So already my home was filled with lots of theology and lots of music. So like I said, I grew up in the church, but we know that growing up in the church doesn't necessarily imply that you have a personal faith. So I had a lot of head knowledge and zero heart knowledge. My faith wasn't personal to me. It was just something that was sort of inherited in a way. So I experienced a little bit of church abuse and stuff growing up. And so, you know, you can sort of let your view of God stem from the way other people treat you, or you can um, let your view of God let you understand how you see other people. And I kind of took the former route (laughs) and was just like, I I don't want anything to do with religion or anything spiritual. So I really rebelled kind of hardcore through 
high school and early college. And then I got roped into like a social group that was really into like a more relativistic interpretation of religion and spirituality. So it was very ecumenical. I prayed to Krishna. I prayed to Buddha. <laughs> I mean, pretty much anything but Jesus was like fine by me. As long as, ah, yes. as, long as something was going to like, listen, I was going to say something to it, but not the one that I had issues with. And then a friend of mine actually gave me a book of Catholic mystic poetry. And I started reading that and I was like, what is this? <laughs> you know, because that has such a history and robust understanding of like who Jesus is, but in like an experiential way. And that was something that I'd never encountered before. So it really took me off guard. And I started to think like, okay, like maybe Jesus has like, you know, some merit that these Catholics are smart. I like them. And then the more that I study that stuff, the more I got into people like Madeline LaEngle, Flannery O'Connor, and oh, yeah. it just kind of like fell down this rabbit hole of Christian intellectuals. And then that pushed me to start reading scripture again. And then I kind of just had to admit, like Lewis says, God is God and I'm not. And neither are all these other gods that I've been seeking too. So I kind of just like fell on my face in a spiritual way and just kind of repented. So now all through that time, I was doing music and writing poetry and stuff like that. Very active in my local community of artists and stuff. But the stuff I was writing wasn't religious on any level. It was mostly about boys and books that I'd been reading. Can relate. That I'd watched, you know. Like, oh, that's super cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I cut like one EP. I didn't really like do anything with it. It was just like a lot of early stuff from early high school. But now as a Christian artist, I guess, focused on still books that I like because I'm a reader and I, I'll never not be. But uh, it's mostly, you know, the existential spiritual longing and what that looks like as a person of faith but a person whose faith is not like an invention of their own. It's something that's given to them by God. And we can't really control anything about it other than surrendering. So I'm just trying to like explore that in the work that I do. Wow. Really cool. That's a really cool story. And I'm cool in the, <laughs> I can relate to it. I totally understand like the, the fact that you suffered abuse and that you had to have that period of time to kind of have distance from the church is obviously very, very sad. Yeah. Um, and I'm sorry that that happened. But obviously, there are so many bad things that happen in the world to believers to non believers. And we can't mm -hmm. approach that through the lens of, well, because this happened, this must tell us about the nature of God, God must be like this, it's that we can learn about the nature of God. And that right, can, right. you know, tell us how mm -hmm. to deal with, cope with, understand, live through, work through sin. So I totally cool. Mm -hmm. I had kind of the, maybe the inverse of your experience in that I grew up similar to you going to church and I had a really like emotional experiential experience when I was like six, I think maybe <laughs> I was pretty young and I had this really intense conviction that I was a sinner when I was like six years old. And I'm pretty sure yeah. I got the Holy Spirit. I'm not entirely sure because I, you know, I didn't like put everything together for years to come. Mm -hmm. But I had this very intense understanding that I was a sinner, that God was good, that I needed him, that he deserved my devotion. Like I, I did understand these certain things from a very young age. But on the flip side, I did not have like the head knowledge to really deal mm -hmm. with life, <laughs> to deal with growing up and to deal with being like a mature Christian. So I was sort of like always clinging to the Christian label, but not necessarily applying it in any kind of helpful way yeah. until much later in my life. 
after a really awful abusive relationship. That's when I really was like, well, God, (laughs) I really need to understand how to do life much better. (laughs) So I'm ready to listen to you in a serious way and not just kind of, you know, be nominal. I think that would probably be the best way to describe that Mm -hmm. experience. So you kind of mentioned some of the different people who have at least sort of influenced your, you said Flannery O'Connor, which is great. Mm -hmm. I love her. She's super, yeah, so weird in a good way, like dark and weird. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so gothic, but I'm into that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. In graduate school, you have like a list of authors who you read their works and she was on my list. I picked like all Christian people. It was like Flannery O'Connor, you know, Marilyn Robinson's work. I'm vaguely familiar. I've read a couple quotes from her that I just, ugh, they just blew me away, but I have Gilead sitting on my, yeah. <laughs> on my bookcase right now. I've got to dive into that. Yeah. You know, she, I'm like conflicted about her because she's really into like the Puritans. Those are like her people. She's all about. Yeah. Puritans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And she's very good at defending the Puritans and like, yeah, that's like the said, stuff I've read. Yes. To preface. <laughs> yeah. It's really good. Do clue me in. Yeah. Yeah. Her nonfiction, her, her quotes, her, her talks on all of that are really amazing. Her fiction is beautiful, but it's very slow. When I read fiction, I really, I like to like, we you want to pace. Yeah. Exactly. I'm like, I yeah. want a story. And her stories are very like, we're going to sit here and really take in this abandoned chapel. Yeah. <laughs> That's like yeah. the best way to describe it. Right, <laughs> so right. It's very, so like, maybe it's not like more of a, I don't know, fast paced thing. Yeah. But I'm with you on that because I prefer a little bit of locomotion. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. I'm going to read a fiction book. So you need yeah. to dive in and there needs to be like a really good love interest. She's not into mm-hmm. that. She doesn't really, I'm trying to remember which one I read. Maybe it was Gilead. The male protagonist is much, 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 much older than the female. Oh, character. okay. So it's kind of weird. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's like touching. They have like a, a nice love story, but it's like, it's certainly not like you you're get that out of your mind. The yeah, time. right. You're not like you're not like dying to be in that position. <laughs> you're kind of like, wow, this is like I'm moved by this, but I'm right. also a little a little weirded out. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally think he's, see. he's like a minister, and I think the gal his parishioner. Oh, that's classic. Classic. Uh-huh. classic. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. So, any other influences that you credit with sort of re-inspiring your interest in Christianity and Christian art oh, and yeah. all of that. The list is so long. Um, <laughs> some really some really notable ones are like Madeline Langle, like I said, was a huge deal. Reading Walking on Water, which is her sort of reflections on faith and art. I think that's actually the subtitle. I've read it so many times, cover to cover, and it consistently refreshes my understanding of creativity as being imbued with so much spiritual meaning, which is pretty countercultural in its own way, but yeah. I really love the poet Rainer Maria Rilke. His work, The Book of Hours, was a big introduction to like talking about God in conceptual and metaphorical ways for me in a way that wasn't cliche or that wasn't trite. So that was a big deal. There's also a band out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, I believe, called The Soil and the Sun, and they do kind of like like a spiritual folk electronic, but there's a violin kind of amalgamation of sound and their lyrics are deeply like kind of old Testament, but accessible enough where somebody who isn't a Christian is going to go, oh, this is pretty rad. And then get sort of caught into the 
biblical references that are sort of like subliminally in there and go, oh, I wonder what the root of Jesse is. I should look into that. And then now I'm reading, you know, Book of Samuel. So yeah, so there were a few, not a few, many, many uh, different sort of touchstones that I came across that really just kept pushing me more towards scripture, whether I realized it or not, or liked it or not. So that band sounds sweet. I should ask you, because I bet you're probably way more into like the good Christian music scene, because you have to make that distinction. (laughs) You do. do. (laughs) So my favorite kind of music in the world is music that could be used as like a UFC walkout song. So it has to be like, you're getting ready to like fight somebody. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? So is there, is there a Christian band that's doing that really well? There is, I need to become their super fan. (laughs) Um, it depends on how heavy metal you want to get. I do have a heavy metal streak and there's this band that I've been running to lately called Sleeping Giant and they are like hardcore as they come, but they call themselves preachcore music. And so they're constantly like stirring your attention towards Christ, <laughs> but also these like chugging guitars and double yeah. bass pedals happen in the background. <laughs> so like I put my headphones in, I press play on that album and I just go and I'm like running under, <laughs> under the sun, like to the glory of God and, you know, yeah. getting I the runner's it. high. <laughs> also, I love it. Like my earbuds are killing me. So yeah. So yeah. loud. Oh, perfect. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. what I want. Okay. Got yeah. it. <laughs> Excellent. No, that's mm-hmm. super fun. Especially just after reading your piece for Stasius, you strike me as a very deep thinker. You're really like into the art and the approach. There's a lot of richness to it, which I really appreciate. I do something a little bit different as a writer. Like I love, like I said, I like Flannery O'Connor. I like a lot of those mm-hmm. people, but the art that I like to create is a lot more like commercial, but trying to avoid a lot of the things that make commercial art terrible. <laughs> that's, so, that's so needed though. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, I don't know if you're familiar at all with Francine Rivers. She's kind of considered like, yes. Yes. yes my you know roommate her. just finished Redeeming Love. And oh my gosh. She cannot recommending it. And I, I've got to read it. I know. Oh my gosh. You do. That <laughs> is on my like, list. It's got to be. I mean, I think it's universally agreed upon that that's like currently the best. Christian romance novel ever written yeah probably no kidding I feel I mean, like it's been up pretty high so I don't doubt you <laughs> yeah so she is like my inspiration I love Francine and she's very good like her writing is so fast and fun and she does romance mm-hmm. so well but she's also just so clearly pointing people to the truth while you're reading the story like mm-hmm. some of her books are better mm-hmm. than others I think that sometimes has to do with the publisher like some of them are much more like didactic and they're not quite mm-hmm. as fun because you're like, mm, you're just telling me about the Bible in a really kind oh, of like, yes. heavy handed. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But other ones like Redeeming Love, her newest one is pretty fun. That one's called The Masterpiece. So I'm kind of mm-hmm. trying to be like Francine Rivers, but like the young, the young version. Her, she's super yeah. fun, but I think her audience mm-hmm. is a little older than us. So I'm kind of like, how can we, how can mm-hmm. we create these Christian romance novels? that are as powerful, but a little more like, you know, our friends would be more likely to be like, I just read this awesome book. Right. Although you said you just said your friend's reading Redeeming Love. So who knows? Yeah. Timeless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, I know they're making a uh, film adaptation of it, right? Like yeah. that's coming out. They are. Yeah. And I am I was just... like, I'll go see it with you, but I'll be yeah. here. So, <laughs> I know. I'm excited for that. Except I don't know. Have you seen the male lead? No. 
disappointing. <laughs> and I don't <laughs> not not to be mean to him. However, sometimes it makes or breaks it. It really does. And like, I don't yeah. know why. So here's here's something I I it's very important to me as a romance writer, especially as a Christian romance writer. We really mm-hmm. should re-tap into celebrating masculinity, particularly. Oh, like absolutely. Mas- yes, masculine mm-hmm. male protagonists, because there's a real push in like progressive type, self-secular type romance to really make the guy more of a beta type rather than an alpha type. Mm-hmm. And what they just did in this movie is a missed opportunity because Michael Hosea is the whole book depicted as this very rugged masculine man. And they picked a little guy that looks like he could be like 17 years old and just very it didn't play well. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if they're going for like a much younger audience or something, but it's kind mm-hmm. of a missed opportunity for like a very yeah. powerful masculine Christian male hero. Sure. So I'm noticing this is happening a lot because one of my favorite novels is Far From the Madding Crowd by Thomas Hardy. And the male lead in that romance novel is supposed to be like, not very dashing. He's like a little quiet, a little awkward, that sort of thing. But he has this steady morality to him, like a moral compass that sort of allures Bathsheba, the main female lead to him in the end, spoiler alert, so sorry. (laughs) But uh, in the film adaptation that they did, I think back in like 2015, they made him Matthias Schoenarts, who is like, a stunning creation. <laughs> I, um, I was like, I'm not, I'm not sorry that they did that, but at the same time, um, he sort of lost a little bit of that luster of like appearances aren't exactly everything, mm. you know, character is important too. And sometimes yeah. character can be attractive than aesthetic and stuff. So, yeah. but I, I always feel that film adaptations are risked every time. I, right. But again, right. you and I are both readers. So we prefer. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's very in the book before the movie. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, and I actually like I like that point that you made because even though I am really, I'm super into kind of the traditional male aesthetic as far as like you know I like UFC, I like mixed martial arts. I me too. I, yeah, yeah, you do. Wow. Oh, oh my gosh. yeah, UFC. We gotta meet up. That's right. I've got so many things in <laughs> we'll common. Stream one of the fights together. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'll come to New York and watch a fight with you. That would be so perfect. Fun. But no, what I was going to say is, even though I really, I like that aesthetic, I kind of push that aesthetic because I think there's just so much like feminizing happening and I like to antagonize that a little bit. But however, the main rule of thumb when you're creating like a love story or a romance isn't that your male lead has to, like you're pointing out, be stereotypical. He doesn't have to look like how we've always thought that like, you know, like the Disney prince look, he doesn't have to have that. He just has to have some kind of exceptional quality. Absolutely. Obviously the most attractive exceptional quality is like a good character. And so if, Mm -hmm. if that's done well, then we can kind of like overlook, you know, or even kind of make the character more intriguing because they're like, he's different. He's not, he's not this Gaston (laughs) type guy. Uh Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's very cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Are you kind of, are you envisioning when you, when you think of your particular style as a musician and vision for what you're creating, are you, do you see yourself as more kind of like an indie musician or wanting to be more of like a commercial musician or some weird place in the middle? Oh, that's a great question. Ideally, I'd like to be somewhere in the middle and there's a advantage with commercial outreach where you just like reach more people in that sense. But at the same time, I don't know. I feel like my music and my writing too sometimes can be a bit niche just because I don't think 
especially in like the Christian realm, there isn't a lot of stuff out there or a lot of even resources or platforms anyway that are sort of into having the not primarily positive discussion around what it means to be a Christian. So to unpack that a little, what I sort of envision the majority of what defines a Christian musician or Christian music tends to be just positivity. Um, Mm. So like the Christian music channel and it's telling me like, hey, you should have a great day today. You should shine your light. And it doesn't really like provide me any sort of gravity underneath those ideas. It just tells me to like be positive and try to like love my neighbor somehow today. But I'm sort of interested in talking about how like, I don't know, writing music where I'm trying to answer what it means to like suffer for Christ or to doubt well and explain that doubt without falling into being cruel and bitter, but then at the same time praying the doubt away. So I want to kind of delve into those gray areas of faith where it's not really in the realm of articulation. It's difficult to explain. Sometimes only metaphor can conjure for us any sort of language that the spiritual realm can offer. So uh, it's hard for me to find where I'm supposed to fit yet, but um, Lord willing, I will, you know, so. Very cool. Yeah, no, I can, I can definitely relate. It's kind of funny. I have one novel complete and it's possibly going to be picked up by a Christian publisher, but thank you. Yeah. You would probably love it. It's about a female UFC fighter. So it's pretty fun. (laughs) Yeah. And it's it's this weird mix. My literary agent and I both going into it were like, I don't know who's going to want this. And it's going to be the secular people or the Christian people because it's sort of (laughs) toes the line of like, Mm -hmm. these are real, very real people with like very, um, they're, they're not, by any means, I like, I think your characterization of how so much of Christianity is portrayed as just being positive is very accurate. And my novel is not that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my Christian characters are not that. Like, they're very imperfect. I mean, I, I modeled them after me. <laughs> like, you know, like my, my um, very contradictory self, where sometimes I'm really motivated and prepared as a Christian, and other times I'm very much not. So like you said, sort of that like gray area, I think is where Christians really have to kind of get in there and create art that does speak to that. Um, Because so much of the popular stuff isn't doing that. So with that all said, what's kind of your experience of being in the arts and being a Christian? You know, does this affect the way that like fellow artists respond to you? Has it affected like your opportunities to create art or share art like kind of what what's your experience especially living in New York I live in the little apple (laughs) so my experience is probably different (laughs) than yours up here in upstate New York I haven't really like experienced too much black um I try to be a little bit more reticent in how I like jump into whatever social or cultural conversation is happening I lean a little bit more libertarian in my views so I mean in my experience somebody is mad at me at all times (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I don't fall into that party paradigm with a lot of the ways that I feel about things. So because of that, I try to just like take a little bit more time and be a little bit more measured in the way I respond to things. So unfortunately, that means for people who are really ready for me to just like jump in and contribute my support or withhold my support from something, they're going to be like a little disappointed. But there are enough proverbs about being careful about responding hastily or speaking too quickly or without knowledge or wisdom where I'd rather just like default on that and be like, hey, I'm just going to like 
research the <laughs> the uh, stuffing out of this before I, you know, just respond how people expect me to. So right, right. That's yeah. awesome. That's a refreshing take. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I think that's awesome. And I think it's probably especially wise, like just particularly in like the music world. I feel like there's just so many other ways that you can go about inspiring the kinds of conversations that you want to have. I think that's a particular mm-hmm. medium where like I, as a consumer of music, I don't really want my musicians to get all political all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. Right. Like, music's kind of an escape. So I don't really mm-hmm. necessarily need to know what you think about every single sure. thing. Because if I do know, then that can affect how I listen to your music, which sucks. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, That's so true. Especially because I think a lot of musicians, they're really quick to respond to literally everything too. Mm-hmm. And so it can get a little exhausting to be like, oh, another situation this person felt like they needed to use their platform for it. And sometimes I think that that can default to be a little prideful in the end because it's like, well, yeah, sure, you have a platform, but that doesn't mean that you need to jump in and contribute your voice every time. And then if you do that so often, then people sort of go, well, you comment on everything. So how do I know that your passion for this particular thing is actually very strong or it's just another opportunity to just like include your voice into the into the clamor? So, yeah. 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 No, I like that. I am. I kind of for many years was very hesitant to say anything overly controversial and not because I was paying attention to proverbs because I was the little scaredy cat <laughs> that's like my that was my well, yeah I feel that too yeah 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 but no I think I mean I think you're right there is a wisdom there is there you can do that in a wise way I've just found as a writer there's just really no way to get around it just because mm-hmm. the particularly like the publishing industry it's just very political by its very nature it has a lot of <laughs> activist goals and yeah. so really the only way you kind of survive is, well, I shouldn't say that. There's multiple ways you can go about doing it. But I just found myself in a position where I realized that if I kind of tried to fly under the radar and I found success, there would come a day where it would be like, so <laughs> are you going to, are you going to support this cause? Are you going to, what are you going right. to say about this? Mm-hmm. And it was going to be. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't do it or whatever, you know, whatever mm-hmm. the case, I, I very yeah. often hold the unpopular position. So I, I just kind of made the decision to sort of front load myself as a controversial <laughs> person. <laughs> so yeah. then sure. it's like, sure. if I, yep. if I find that success, then I don't have to be in that position of being like, surprise, right. <laughs> you actually mm-hmm. hate all of my views. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think that's, right. I think it's a little different when you're a writer than when you're a musician. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. I don't know for what, especially because I do cultural commentary. So I have to, like, mm-hmm. I can't like, oh, can't sure. really just yep. sort of mm-hmm. can't, can't be silent. Although I think you're yeah. right. You certainly don't have to talk about all, so. <laughs> yes, yes. And you don't have mm-hmm. to talk about everything. I think that is a real burden that a lot of people feel. Um, mm-hmm that like you have to, you know, weigh in on every single event. And right. if we just back up a little bit and consider all the things that happen in a day, we realize how ridiculous that expectation oh, is. Oh, yeah. Because, you know. Oh, Twitter is a great example of that. <laughs> you go on for like at one o'clock and by five o'clock, the conversation is totally shifted and everybody's dashing to like get that tweet in that just matches it. And yeah. that can be really like spiritually exhausting after yeah. a while. 
Yeah. And not necessarily that helpful. If you're going to put your voice out there, you want your voice to be saying what you are at least fairly certain is something valuable. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. When you, when you are sharing that thing that you absolutely know, then Mm -hmm. share it, you know, make that bold black and white stance. And um, that's the uh, most important thing, I think. So picking and choosing is good, but then once you do choose and pick, you should make it pretty clear, especially on like orthodox interpretations of scripture and stuff like that. And God's law, like, I don't think those are areas that we should speak like I don't know, mouse lily about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was actually having this really interesting conversation with my agent the other day about my book because, you know, we got we've gotten to this point in the process where it looks like this Christian publisher might pick it up. And so I just <laughs> said, yeah, I just threw out there. I was like, so for us to be at this point, this means they had to have Googled me, right? Like they had to have listened to my podcast. They have to have some sense of like, who I am, what I'm going to say, you know, that kind of thing. And she was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I, they wouldn't have, we wouldn't have gotten to this point if they hadn't done that yet. And her observation was just that in many areas of Christian art, uh, particularly in the publishing industry, might be true of Christian music as well. um, There is this desire amongst kind of, I guess we'll call them like the gatekeepers, the people who decide what's going to get published and popular and all of that. They are trying to branch out beyond what has been considered Christian for so long and kind of allow for a little more, you know, a a more variety of the types of styles and arts and stuff like that. But they also really want the people who are doing that. They want to know that those people will stay faithful to Orthodox Christian views, Mm -hmm. like sort of not be blindsided by like, oh, here's this really cool art by this like really quirky person. But then when that person Mm -hmm. is asked about their beliefs, they don't want that person to say, you know, like they don't basically don't want them to espouse universalism and pretend like it's Christianity or something like that. Christian, yeah. Yes, yes. And so I think if that's true, if that assessment is right, I think that's exciting because I think that's Mm -hmm. what would really, could really change the artistic landscape of like Christian culture is people who are doing really interesting art, but are also faithful to the word of God. Cause I think right. there's like this weird sort of either it's kind of boring stuff that's put out and those people can give you the right answers, but it's not necessarily art that's super compelling or it's mm. really interesting art, but the people aren't really Christian. <laughs> it's kind of that weird right, right. dichotomy. Yeah. I don't know if that's over oversimplifying it, but I see that in some way happening. I have too. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's a good segue into just your take. Why do you think that Christianity has so little influence over the arts today? And what steps do you think we could do to maybe change that? And that can maybe be where we end our conversation just to give people a little, little thoughts on, you know, where we can take Christian art into new and exciting places. Yeah. So uh, I think it's twofold. So the first issue that I see is that Christian art has taken, like I mentioned earlier, a kind of a positive spin. Mm-hmm. Um, but deeper than that, it's not even like a deep, actually positive spin. It's more just inspirational or sentimental, especially noticeable in the way that we, uh, or secular realm sort of classifies Christian music. It's just being inspirational rather than religious, which I think is a different sort of context. So because we've sort of eschewed 
any sort of robust understanding that like Christianity is for all of life. It's not like an add-on to a particular area of your life. It's not something you try. It's a reality that we declare that Jesus is Lord and that has implications on how we respond to that reality. Um, so because we sort of backed away from understanding that, you know, Christianity has something to say about suffering, has something to say about doubt and about shame and all of these things that are not exactly like pretty to talk about, we sort of lost a depth to it. So because of that, Christian art has sort of segregated itself away from secular art, which is talking about all of those things that Christian art is sort of, I don't even think afraid, just like blowing past even mm -hmm. interacting with. So because of that, we've sort of diluted a lot of the way we talk about God and his character, the language that we use to describe him. Um, when I listen to like modern Christian music, a lot of the time, I notice that it's like the same phrases and words that are sort of just like cut up and then moved around kind of like refrigerator poetry <laughs> and thinking of the little words. And um, you just kind of shift them around and it's like all the same thing. But God is not just like wonderful. He's not just our safe haven or like the mountaintop experience. He's the breadth of human emotions. I mean, in him, we live and move and have our being. So we can like come up with more stuff, right? So I think because we've sort of kept things topical, that's made us a little bit out of touch. And we seem very behind, not only in primarily focusing on an explicitly evangelistic message, but because we've kind of fallen behind even aesthetically too, because we're just so concentrated on it being inspirational and like getting people in the door at church that we've sort of lost the heritage that 2000 years of church music has given us, yeah. um, which is why the hymns are so great and why they're, we're experiencing a resurgence with hymns. So that's one big reason. And then the second part, I think, is because we're just not talking to secular artists and we're not interacting with secular art in a way that makes it not us versus them in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. So what I mean by that is like, secular artists are just like us in the sense that they're creating art as an expression, as a way to cope, like you mentioned, as a response to something that they're experiencing. And because of that, God, on some level, he's moving on the heart of somebody who isn't saved, right? So if, if God makes the first move, as we understand scripture to say, then who is to say that these secular artists who have no like conversation with the Christian community, who's to say the Lord isn't working on their heart, but they don't have the language for that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so they're just kind of like making art and they don't know that they're making it as a response to something that the prime creator is doing in them. So this is a really like fertile mission field for Christians who need to like step in and just like introduce yourself to secular artists, start that conversation, build that bridge to kind of show them like, hey, you're doing the fact that you're creating it all is because you are made in the image of the creator. Right. Um, so I'm just looking for people that are going <laughs> to share that same language as I am. And that was a big thing for me when I wasn't a Christian, but I was an artist like Madeline Engel, uh, in reading her work, I was like, wow, there's something deeper here than just like expressing myself. So I think we really need to sort of start that initiation and really just go outside of our comfort zones and stuff. And that includes the way that we interact with secular art as well. There's a lot of stuff out there that is just screaming for a savior. And we kind of go like, oh, I, it, since it's not explicitly Christian, I won't, I won't look at it. I won't watch it. I won't read it. 
but if we do, we can sort of understand sort of the language for our own spiritual longing and feel that camaraderie, or at least, you know, the shared humanity of yeah. being lost and searching for our father. So, right. Wow. Yeah. I love everything that you're saying. I think that's really, those are really good insights. I mean, I, I am hard a lot of the time on secular progressive type art because some, a lot of it is just very bad, but some oh, of it totally. is very good. Like, you know, yeah. like that's true too. It's like mm-hmm. some of it is clearly awful and depraved and stupid, but others are just like incredible. Right. Like one, one series, I don't know, especially if you like MMA, you might appreciate. Have you ever heard of Kingdom? It's a show about Ooh. MMA. No, I haven't. Oh my gosh. Well, so, <laughs> okay. So here's my disclaimer for everyone about Kingdom. It is so well done. However, there are just straight up porn scenes in it. So you should just go and advise that, you know, you don't want that in your brain. It's one of the most like graphic as far as I've, I've seen of popular um, television shows. That said, oh, and the language, language is very bad. But as far as depicting the human struggle with addiction, with childhood trauma, with just feeling things that you don't want to feel. That's probably like the best way to show that this television series does. It's about a father who's a fighter and he has sons who are fighters. That's why it's called Kingdom. And, you know, they're all kind of fighting for different things, but they all have this angst about being fighters. And there's just so many interesting things you can pick up in the show about life and what they think about God and what they think about the things that they do wrong. It's just fascinating. But one really interesting little nugget in that show is like one of the very first episodes, somebody gives this really troubled character, the screw tape letters. (laughs) It's so weird. Yeah. in there. Yeah. It's so weird. (laughs) He's like, here's this book. It's awesome. Yeah. And the guy, the the fighter is like, oh, I'm not like a, are you like a big Christian now? Like they have this really realistic, strange conversation about like how, but it's just so true to life of how that would happen of like this type of person giving this other type of person, the screw tape letters. And throughout the show, that character becomes interested in Christianity and it's very subtle. It's not like this very overt thing, but I don't know. It's the closest Mm -hmm. that I've seen in a long time to a painfully realistic depiction of Mm. how so many people approach sin and life and God. And it's it's certainly not positive. It's certainly really not very inspirational. I mean, it's kind of inspirational just in like Mm -hmm. a keep fighting sort of way. But as far as like deeper, like you said, it's really missing that like deeper piece that could have really, I don't know, brought this really intense, satisfying resonance to (laughs) the characters. Yeah, just like you said, like if if Christians, if there was a way to bridge this gap, I mean, we could see so much, so much cool art being formed. Mm-hmm. But I think probably one difficult thing is just maybe you don't experience this, but do you think that secular artists will let us do that? Will they let Christians in? That's a great it? question. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, I almost, you know, I think one of the biggest things that might deter that is because I'm right there with you. A lot of secular art is just vulgar for the sake of being vulgar. And I say out with that stuff. So even though the best thing to do is to try to bridge that gap, I don't think we should compromise at all. And if that puts the conversation in jeopardy, I mean, I don't think that we can do anything else than allow it to be put in jeopardy, you know? 
because like we stand on the word of God and that's at the end of the day, we can't, we can't fall off from that. So yeah, yeah I think there, it, it's definitely not going to be an easy thing, but I think if the Lord is working on somebody's heart, then they will be receptive to it. And you know, if that comes with punches for us, we just got to, you know, turn the other cheek. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I like it. I like a good punching metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Very nice. Awesome. Well, let me see if I have anything else for you real quick. This was fun. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Those oh yeah. Just any Christian artists you want to give a shout out here while, while you have the, the floor, anybody we should go Ooh. check out. Oh man. I mean, I love Josh Garrels. He's oh, great. Yeah. Huge fan of Josh Garrels. The band I mentioned earlier, the soil and the sun, they, uh, the husband and wife from that group, they have a group called turtle doves and they just came out with an album, uh, Think like a month ago and it called pillars of the earth that is like the coolest thing it's blowing my mind right now but i also love like john mark pantana joy ike i'm a big fan of currently yeah who else i mean oh there's a band called the whistles and the bells which is like southern folk bluegrassy Ooh, rock and fun. they're perfect yeah i'm i love that guy he's great so that's just like a couple awesome. but um yeah. i mean and i could i could go for hours to be no that's good and you you referenced some other things you've referenced some <laughs> other ones throughout throughout our conversation so I'm sure you've given people they just things. keep coming yeah. <laughs> yeah oh my gosh well thanks cool. Abby this was super fun just to like chat Thank about art yes we should do this again sometime maybe it can yeah, just be this has been great a Stacio's conversation about art and I don't know who will listen to it I don't know how many people are like us and like <laughs> like all these things and also like MMA plus my podcast audience is like 75% dudes. <laughs> I, don't know. I, think, I think it's because I'm mo- I usually have male guests. So maybe now with you, we'll have some ladies to tune in. I don't know. Hopefully yeah. ladies. We'll all watch on. MMA together. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, have a good rest of your day and thanks so much. Thanks. Come up, drive.